it's daylight savings time, also known as uh, sleep in and don't come to church Sunday. <laughs> so I told, you know, everyone in class this morning, we'll silently judge all of our brothers and sisters who are not here today. Only joking. Um, Sarah Winchester was the daughter-in-law of Oliver Winchester. And any of you, any history buffs in here know who Oliver Winchester is? Uh, he developed the Winchester repeating rifle in the 19th century uh, during the Civil War days. And um, the Winchester rifle, repeating rifle, was a weapon of mass destruction in its time because it could fire off up to 15 shots before having to reload. And so soldiers in the Civil War who could afford to purchase one kind of became an army of one. And, um, of course, that, that rifle claimed many lives. Now, Sarah Winchester... Um, daughter-in-law of Oliver Winchester, her husband passed away, and she she inherited the fortune of the Winchester family. And Sarah Winchester came to the belief, she came to the belief, that uh, all of the dead Civil War soldiers who had been killed by Winchester rifles were haunting her as ghosts. And that what she needed to do with the wealth that she inherited was to build a very, very large house to house all of these spirits and appease them so that they didn't do her any harm. Kind of a tragic story, really. Um, but she did, and the house is actually in San Jose, California. You can tour it. It's like a, it's like an amusement park now. You can go. It's called the Winchester Mystery House. Um, but the reason I tell you that story is because as we enter Lent, we um, can fall into the danger of having a Sarah Winchester mindset about our Lenten practices, about our relationship with God, that we think that we enter into this season of Lent where we do fasting and praying and repentance and all of this stuff um, as a way to appease God and stay in his good graces. And I want to remind us that that's not how it works. That's not how the gospel works because... God's love doesn't shift up and down. God's love for you doesn't shift up and down based on how good you are at fasting from chocolate, okay? Or fasting from Netflix or whatever it is that you, uh, that you do in Lent. Because we do what we do in Lent out of the fact that God has loved us so much that he gave his only son to die for our sins. And we have an identity that is grounded in that. And his love, his love doesn't shift for us based on how we're doing behaviorally or with our fasting or with our Lenten practices. So let me just assure you of something. Um, if you failed every Lenten fast that you committed yourself to all of your life, God's love for you did not change. So you can take a deep breath and a sigh of relief. <sighs> now... <laughs> Now, I will say this, God's love should incentivize us to be faithful to our fast because it's an opportunity to grow closer to him. It's an opportunity to grow deeper in intimacy with him. Now, the question that I want to ask us today, based on our gospel reading, is how do we stay connected to God, especially in the face of other options um, like temptation and so forth, things that would pull us away from him? Uh, as we have the next 40 days, our theme that's going to be kind of uh, woven through things is moving toward Jesus, 40 days of moving toward Jesus in Lent. And today's question is, how do we stay connected to God in the face of other options? So that's what we see happening in the gospel passage with Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. I mean, this is an awesome, right? Jesus versus Satan head to head in the wilderness. This is cool stuff. So that's where we're going to hang out. We're going to camp out today in Luke chapter four. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, let's jump right in. We're told that um, returning from his baptism, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus uh, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, why uh, why is it important detail that he just was baptized in the Jordan? 
Well, if you back up and read, and some of you know what happens in this passage, um, when Jesus is baptized, it's not for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't need that. Um, it's to identify with humanity, with the people uh, for whom he would give his life. And something happens at Jesus' baptism. What do we see? What's the symbol that we see descending on him in his baptism? A dove, right? Which symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he's 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 been baptized and he's got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He's operating in God's power. And then God, the father, we hear his voice say something over him. This is my son, the beloved. Yes, with him, I am well pleased. So Jesus is grounded in his identity as the beloved son of God before he even goes into the desert to face temptations and trials. Okay, that's a, that's something that we need to realize is us too. In our baptism and when we handed our lives over to Jesus, we became the beloved sons and daughters of God before we even entered into the, a life full of temptations and struggles and ups and downs and battling with our own sins and battling with our own prayerlessness and battling with our faith and all of those things, we already became God's beloved children. So important to remember that. And that's why Luke reminds us of the fact that Jesus had just come from the Jordan. You see, um, Henry now, and he writes, he's, he's like the beloved guy. He writes all about being the beloved. He was a French, or a, um, uh, he was a Dutch Catholic priest who passed away in the 20th century. But he says, Christians are, we Christians are always running around in circles trying to find something or someone to convince us of our belovedness. Because at our core, we actually reject ourselves. Now, listen to what he says. Here's, these are his exact words. He says, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. That's gospel right there. Um, You see, knowing that we are beloved, you and I, it has to be foundational in our experience of staying connected with God. We have to know that God stays connected with us. And so what we're going to talk about today is what, so what can we do, um, being, be Jesus being our model to stay connected with God from our end. Romans chapter 10, we just heard from that, and it's just such a beautiful summary of the gospel and how it works. And Paul said this, said, confessing Jesus as Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead is, that's our salvation. He didn't, doesn't say, um, once you finish a life of trials and temptations and struggles and doubts, um, then, then you can have salvation. He says, um, confessing Jesus as Lord of your life and giving everything over to him and believing that God raised him from the dead with his power and knowing that you will be raised too, that is our salvation. Handing our lives over to God and believing that he is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, Paul says this, for one believes with the heart and so is justified. That means God has declared you righteous, which is good news. Why? Because we're not. And God has declared us righteous and is making us righteous. And one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. This is not, there's not, not a whole lot of, um, once you complete X, Y, and Z for God, then he might consider accepting you. That's not the gospel. And uh, some of us grew up in families or religious traditions or churches in which uh, life with God was all about um, obeying, 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 following all the rules and getting kind of, you should be really scared when you step out of line and you need to go to confession or you need to go talk to the pastor and confess your sins. And maybe some of you grew up in a uh, denomination that said, we need to pray and cast the demons out of you because you've been sinning. Some of us have grown up with that. And that's not the gospel um, that's not a father's forgiving, merciful heart towards people who are trying to genuinely follow him. And so I just felt like maybe some of you needed to hear that today, that uh, you are the beloved um, apart 
from what you do to, to, to um, live a life of obedience. Now, of course, a life of obedience follows from that identity. Okay, moving on. Luke tells us uh, for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. What's significant about 40 days? Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. We had a little back and forth dialogue in Saturday night service and it was really fun so you can actually respond. 40 days. What happens in the Old Testament with the number 40? Moses and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And um, God was uh, had called them to be his children, to show his glory to the nations, and they kept failing. They failed to stay connected to God because they kept turning towards other things, pagan gods, other idols, selfishness, groaning, complaining, um, the lack of gratitude. They just wouldn't stay connected to God, and he kept pursuing them anyway. And what Luke is telling us is like, now it's time to see the number 40 and think about the Ill- Israelites wandering around in the wilderness because Jesus is going into the wilderness, and he's going to be the faithful Israelite who carries out the vocation that Israel was supposed to carry out but didn't. It's cool significance there, right? A little bit of a rabbit trail, but an important one, I think. Now, who's this devil? Well, I'm not going to say a whole lot about that other than this. It's just a simple definition would be he's the supreme adversary of our Heavenly Father. Apparently, he was good and he had power as some kind of an angelic spiritual being and decided that he wanted to be cooler and awesomer than God, and so he rebelled. And he wants to draw other people into that. And his number one priority is to oppose God and to bring God's people away from him and convince them that God is not good, uh, that they should pursue a path of life outside from God. That's that's what he does, and we'll see some of that in uh, in the story today. Uh, Jesus actually confirms this for us in another place. He says to his disciples, <clears throat> um, "Satan tried to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail." And he gives them a little glimpse into this, the world of spiritual warfare. He says, "Satan was, has been at work trying to pull all of you away from me, but I've been praying before the Father's throne that your faith would be strong." He does that for us too. If you were Baptist, you would say amen. <clears throat> okay. So Jesus, um, he gives himself over to a 40-day fast. Anybody giving themselves over to a 40-day fast for Lent? <laughs> Start with one. It's good. But you see, remember last week we talked about the idea of consecration, of setting yourself apart for God and um, making room by denying some uh, some of your fleshly appetites so that the power of heaven can flow into your life and that God actually increases our power and authority in the spiritual realm when we consecrate ourselves to him in those kind of specific ways. That's what Jesus is doing. He's fasting for 40 days. So imagine his power level is like level 105. Okay, So he's ready to go at it with 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 the devil and all of his temptations. Uh, so verse 3, here's the first one. Here's the first um, first attack. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. That is, if you're really God's beloved son, Mr. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, if that's really you, why don't you use your privilege, because you're really hungry, and make this stone a loaf of bread? He just wants him to get him to like obey him and follow his lead. You see, there's lies that we believe too that come from the devil. Sometimes we have thoughts like, well, God wants me to have this because he just wants me to be happy. That's not always the case. That's not always the case. I've seen people walk away from the Lord into lifestyles of, of, of sin and they disconnect from God and they say, well, I, this is right because it's what makes me happy and God just wants me to be happy. Just be careful of that mindset. God does want us to be happy and have joy, but it's not always necessarily true what our hearts are telling us, right? So in reality, though, God, and Jesus knows this, God wants us to be perfectly satisfied in him. 
He wants us to find satisfaction in him, to delight in him, because he knows that that's where true fulfillment lies. Uh, St. Augustine famously said to God, he said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And also this, suffering, like going without, suffering draws us deeper into the heart of God. And Satan wants to take away opportunities for us to grow into the image of Jesus and to be able to handle suffering and to be able to stand strong and know that God is with us. He wants to take away those opportunities. Now, I'm not saying like America is Satan, but just think about how American culture works in advertising. Now, pay attention to um, the world that you go out into this week. Just look, pay attention to um, billboards, commercials, posters, magazine covers, all that kind of stuff. And you will see that we are actually on a daily basis inundated by messages that, sh- that tell us... We should never have to go without comfort and pleasure. We should never have to deny ourselves comfort and pleasure. It's all over the place. It's always always clamoring for our attention. And sometimes that's not always the case. Now, moving on. Jesus uh, responds to Satan, and he says, It is written, one does not live by bread alone. So if Jesus says, it is written... He, that means I'm about to give you a Bible quote, Satan. Um, he's, and he's about to quote from Deuteronomy. From Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he says, one does not live by bread alone. Now, in Deuteronomy 8, there's another half of that sentence. Who knows it? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Good. Y'all are good Bible scholars in here. Exactly. And so what... Um, What's, what is happening here in Luke's gospel is that we're being shown all the, the verses that Jesus is going to quote, and he's going to quote a couple more in a second here, are from Deuteronomy. And these verses that he quotes were truths that were... that, And so Jesus is showing us what it looks like to faithfully live by those truths as the, as the faithful Israelite. <clears throat> so he's not... When he says, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, he's not saying, I'm gluten intolerant, so I can't have any bread. He's saying, and some of us are that, um, man shall not, he's not gluten intolerant. He's saying the father is my sustenance. He is the source of my life, his love, his protection, his provision, his care, his presence. That's what sustained me. And so I don't need to be manipulated into uh, using my privilege to, to make bread for myself. You see, here's a principle. Jesus stays connected to God uh, by standing on the truth that God himself is our life and our joy, and our peace, and our sustenance. He stands on that truth as if it's really real. See, Scripture, uh, Jesus is quoting Scripture. It has power because it's the living Word of God. It still speaks to us today. It's not just a historical document. And we have, I think we, we can read it that way faithfully because Jesus does. Because Jesus is quoting from a document that was written historically far before his time, and he's speaking it as if it is the living Word of God. And so we can use scripture too uh, by learning it, studying it, reflecting on it, memorizing it. And you'll find if you do that, that in times of temptation, in times of struggle, in times of pain, anxiety, scripture will come to mind. And you can quote scripture and there's power in it. Learning those Bible verses in Sunday school when you're a kid really is invaluable uh, practice. Now, um, he's not done with Jesus. He's going to keep going at it. So... Um, because Satan doesn't give up easily when he's really trying hard to disconnect us from God. He keeps coming, he keeps coming back. 
So he shows Jesus the power and allure of authority. He says he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And then he said to him, to you, I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. And then he says, you know what? All you have to do just real quick, just boop, genuflect, just bend the knee really quick before me. And then it'll be done. Jesus, I'll hand it all over to you. I'll hand you the keys to all the authority in the world. <clears throat> You see, um, the devil wants to replace God as our benefactor. He wants us to believe um, that we need God replaced as our benefactor. And he does that to Jesus. And Jesus, of course, does not buy it. He responds, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, here's the other thing. Jesus knows that Satan actually does have some temporary authority over the world uh, because of sin. But he also knows that the way that he is going to gain authority back over the world is not by bending his knee to the devil, but by giving up his life and self-giving love on the cross. That's how Jesus wins the world back and how he gets authority back. Remember, at the end of Matthew's gospel, he tells his disciples, after his death, his sacrificial death and his resurrection, he tells his disciples, all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. Amen. So, Jesus, here's another principle for us, he stays connected by making his allegiance to the Father a priority over everything else. He makes his allegiance to the Father a priority over everything else in life. Notice that also, this is so important, I just picked up on this detail, Jesus doesn't feel the need to get into extended dialogues with the devil when he's tempted. He quotes scripture very briefly and he's done with it. Um, But Satan loves drawing people into dialogue. Um, That's how he got Eve to eat the fruit. Because what he does is he starts to get us to question, he starts to get us to question things and he question God's truth and particularly God's goodness. Eve, really, does God really have the best intentions for you if he tells you that you shouldn't eat this fruit and become wise like him? And she started to engage in the dialogue and they, they go back, they have this back and forth and then she falls. She falls for it. So that's a, that's a word of wisdom for us from scripture that, um, we should not even engage in the dialogue when we feel temptation happening, when we feel, uh, our struggles with doubt, anxiety, fear, lack of, uh, of questioning God's love or his goodness and that's gonna lead us down a path that we don't wanna go to immediately just, just, just to speak against that and turn back to him because he's waiting there for us to stay strong and to stay connected with him. <clears throat> Verse nine. The next tactic, oh, devil, you don't, you don't give up, do you? So he takes Jesus to Jerusalem. This is like Jesus is the center of his religious and cultural life, his people. And he places them on the pinnacle of the temple, which is like the center of the center. And he says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now Satan's going to use Jesus' tactic and he's going to quote scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. He, he can twist God's truth. He can twist God's truth. Sometimes lies aren't, the devil's lies aren't completely explicit. They're just like a little distortion of the truth. Right? See, Satan knows who Jesus is and what, what Jesus' victory means for Satan. He knows that. And so the temptation that he's trying to get him to engage in um, it sounds like, hey, Jesus, take advantages of God's promises in his word. But what he's really doing is saying, test God and see if he'll really be true to his word. See if he's really good like he says he is. And Jesus' response is, 
don't put the Lord your God to the test. He's good. He's good, and I don't need to test him for that. So another principle, Jesus stays connected by trusting in God without needing him to rescue him immediately from danger. This is a really important like life application here. Because some of us, probably all of us have had, at some point have uttered the prayer, God, if you really care about me, you'll do this. You'll rescue me from this. You'll heal me of this. You'll get me out of this situation if you really care about me. But it doesn't work like that. And here's why. Because he's already proven that he cares about us with an eternal, steadfast love that he showed us and demonstrated on the cross. Because he is the God who gave his own life so that we could have eternal life with him. So he's already proven his love for us. He, he, he could not do anything else and not give us any other blessings the rest of our life. He will. But he could not, and we would still know that he's already proven his love for us eternally. Some of us really just need to know that today. Because what happens is, is that, um, we, we can find ourselves in situations where we feel like we have to get some kind of affirmation that God cares about us, um, emotionally or situationally. But Jesus is saying, don't test him and tell him to prove it. Instead, meditate on the cross and know in your heart that he loves you, he suffered for you, and he stands with you in your suffering. And, and there's grace in that. So the principle is this. The situations we find ourselves in throughout life are not indicators of whether or not God loves us and is there for us. That's a relief for me. And that's a promise of his word. Now, of course, there are times which we should pray like like crazy to get out of danger, to be rescued, to be healed. God wants to hear those prayers. But there are times when it seems like our prayers aren't answered, but we have to know that he loves us because he's proven it. Finally, Satan goes, ugh, to heck with it. He probably said another word, but he departed from him until an opportune time. Oh, he's not done, right? He's going to keep coming back. Uh, Peter, who was Jesus' bumbling disciple, who finally got his act together in the end, he writes a letter, and it's in the New Testament. It's a part of the Bible, and he wrote this to Christians um, under his care that were suffering persecution and things like that, being tempted to turn away from their faith in Jesus. And he said this, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. He says, you're not the only one. Christians throughout the world are suffering, and they are friends today. In China and India, today, people are being oppressed and being told that they cannot worship the living God. And some of them are losing their lives, their families over it. He says, take heart. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, when we press through suffering and temptation by faithfully staying connected to God, there's a promise that God will restore and strengthen us. And that promise will always, for all of us, come through in the resurrection to eternal life because that's ultimate, indestructible restoration that will never, ever be ended. That's awesome. Okay. Coming to a close here. We make commitments in Lent, and I did a little bit of a different kind of commitment this Lent rather than um, fasting from a particular thing. I made a commitment, more of a positive commitment. I made a commitment to the Lord to be uh, more attentive and listening to his Holy Spirit 
I'm on this wild ride with the Holy Spirit right now, and it's very exciting. But I made an, a, a commitment to God to listen for his voice, especially as it pertains to speaking to other people more boldly, whether or not they're people I know or don't know. So God um, seems to have taken me up on that. I was I was in the... Uh, I was at Whole Foods. I start a lot of stories this way, don't I? It's because I like live next door to Whole Foods. I was at, somebody last night said, after the sermon, they said, as soon as you said, I was at Whole Foods, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> so I was at Whole Foods and I had my daughter, my three-year-old, and she's in one of the little fire truck grocery carts that it's kind of sit, they sit down lower and I'm pushing her and I'm checking out and I walk up and I see the girl at the checkout counter and I've seen her a hundred times before. And I had this, um, just impression in my mind that, uh, she really is just trying to work out identity issues in her life. Like, who am I? What, what should I be? Who am I supposed to be? And I felt sort of an impression to maybe say something to her, just something. I didn't really know. I didn't have anything specific from God. He doesn't always make it specific, but I thought I should maybe encourage her or something. Um, well, as I'm thinking, and I'm kind of getting nervous about doing that, but then I look down and I realize that my daughter has um, a sneaky, sneaky creature that she has grabbed a little snack bar off the shelves that they have at the checkout thing, and she's trying to unravel it and get it open. My daughter loves snacks. And um, I grabbed it. I said, what are you doing? Give me that, you stinker. And the, the checkout girl said, oh, that's so funny. When I was a little kid about her age, um, I was going through a store, and my mom saw me. I didn't know she saw me, but I, I grabbed this ribbon off this stuffed bunny on the shelf, and I untied it, and I hid it under my shirt. And she said, I didn't know my mom saw me, but I heard her say to me, you know, Jesus saw you do that. And uh, she said, so I put it back. And we were all laughing, and the guy who was bagging the groceries was laughing. And um, I thought it's really interesting that like she brought up the name of Jesus, and I know that she knew, knows I'm a pastor because I'm in there all the time with my collar and stuff. So um, I just said, "Well, Jesus bless you guys, da da da," and we we left. Well, the next day I was there again. Of course, I'm there a lot. It's like my coffee shop too. So I'm there to get some work done, and guess who the first person I see is? Because I didn't talk to her, I didn't act on the nudge. And guess who the first person I see is when I walk in? Oh, great, thanks, Lord. Um, you're not going to let me out of this one. And it was a slow morning. So I ended up going. I was like, okay, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. And um, I went and I like grabbed a bag of chips that I didn't even want so I could go and check out. She didn't have any money in her checkout lane. God's providence. And I said, hey, you know, I said, this might sound crazy, but yesterday as we were coming up to check out, I had this, um, I just had a sense that, um, and I said, well, you know I'm a pastor, right? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, I've been really trying to hear God's voice lately. And I said, I just had a sense that um, he has something for you, and he's watching over you, and he really wants to give you a grounded identity. And she's kind of sitting there, like, with her jaw dropped, like, okay, okay. And I was like, you, uh, and I was like, what do I say? What do I say, God? What? I don't know. I'm so awkward, and I'm so nervous. And um, I said, yesterday you, you told us that really funny story about your mom saying, Jesus is watching you. And I felt like the Lord would maybe have me share with you that Jesus is watching you. He's watching over you, but not in a finger-wagging type of way, like when you thought when you were a kid, but because he loves you and cares about you. And she was just like, oh, wow, uh, thanks. I needed that. And then, you know, I was like, okay. And then she was like, yeah, I'm, I could consider myself religious and spiritual. I haven't really been to church in a long time. And I was just like, okay, well, have a great day. Bye. And I left because I, I could give it to God from there. And let him handle it. I didn't need to like invite her to church or be like, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It wasn't, it wasn't the time for that. And I knew that I needed to hand her over to the Lord at that point. Just, but I, but what, what, what that was was I stayed connected to God 
in that commitment by trusting that despite my idiocy and my bumblingness and my nervousness and my my insufficient words, I trusted that God could use the encounter, even if what I was saying wasn't exactly right. And he can do that for you too. So whatever your Lenten practice is, be encouraged, but it needs to be grounded in prayer. And prayer, listen to this, is delighting in our relationship with God. Some some of you here today have a, a sense of duty and obligation and discipline about prayer. And as you grow in your prayer life, you will start to learn that it's actually about delighting in the Lord. And he, he's sitting waiting for you to come into his presence and grow in relationship with him. And he wants you to know that. <clears throat> Remember Martha and Mary? Martha and Mary's story in Luke ch- chapter 10. Jesus comes over for dinner. Martha um, did what I would have did and freaked out. And she's like running around the house and trying to get everything clean. The really cool rabbi is here who heals people. And she's like, she gets really mad. And she's like, Mary is over sitting with Jesus. She's sitting at his feet, just kind of like engaged with Jesus, just kind of soaking in his presence, listening to him. And uh, Martha's like, hmm, Jesus, the spaghetti sauce is like boiling over and Mary is just sitting over there. Can you rebuke her and tell her to get in here and to help me? And uh, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Now, husbands, don't ever say to your wife, don't ever say that to your wife. Like, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not ever going to say, Hannah, Hannah. Like, so Martha was probably like, mm. and Jesus was like, Martha, Martha, Mary, there are so many things. There, you have so many things you're worrying about, but Mary has chosen the most important thing. See, that's what he wants is for us to sit at his feet and to delight in his presence because we'll draw closer to him. We'll have a better sense of our identity as his beloved, and he'll also give us the power and the authority to minister to other people in his name. I want to read you a quote that I read from a book on prayer just this past week. The author says this, In our day, the Holy Spirit is emphasizing the anointing that was upon Mary of Bethany, which is the anointing to waste our lives on one thing, extravagant devotion to Jesus Christ. It is the anointing to linger long with an engaged spirit in the presence of the Lord. This is impossible to do with religious self-determination and the power of the flesh. We can't will ourselves to be more resolute and say, I will, I will, I will. The abandonment flows out of a lovesick heart. So this Lent, let's be lovesick for Jesus and his presence. And enter into each day eager to face both trials and celebrations and joys as we stay connected to the God who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And you reveal more and more of that every day to us. Your mercy towards us, your forgiveness, your steadfast love, and uh, your compassion. And we thank you that you reveal that to us in your word. Uh, and that we have nothing to stand on, Lord, but your grace and your mercy, and that it empowers us for life with you, and it reminds us daily that we belong to you as those who have been adopted into your family. I pray, Lord, for those um, here today who might be hearing the call from you to um, graciously to accept that invitation into your family, that they would just say yes to Jesus right now in their spirit. 
And I pray that um, for all of us who've been walking with you maybe for a long time and maybe have struggled with prayer, that you would bless us and that you would uh, release to us that anointing of your Holy Spirit that makes us just to want to linger in your presence this Lent. In Jesus' name, amen.